All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of the Wisconsin Transition Talks with Brian and Stacy. And I'm Brian Kenny with the Transition Improvement Grant. And I am Stacy Duffy, the Transition Specialist at CISA 2. Today, we're going to talk about the framework of universal design for learning, which is vital for optimizing inclusive learning for all students. We are excited to introduce Melissa Elmiller from CISA 3 and the Wisconsin Statewide UDL team as today's guest. Melissa has served in a variety of roles throughout her career in education, including as a special education teacher and a principal. Currently, she is a statewide systems coach for universal design for learning and has always found great joy in coaching leaders along their journey to create a strong culture of learning in their local communities. Welcome, Missy. We're excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about UDL. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners without a background in UDL or Universal Design for Learning, can you provide an overview of what the framework is and how it made its way into education? Yeah, so Universal Design for Learning uh, comes from the architecture background. And in architecture, they started to create universal design uh, buildings and environments where they would build the accessibility features that people with uh, disabilities needed to access the building. And so that uh, architect, that work in architecture then transferred over to the learning side. And so now we are designing learning environments that remove barriers um, before we actually see the barriers. And most of the work, the early work and the early research uh, in regards to universal design for learning was started uh, at Harvard in um, an organization called CAST, and CAST is still the people who are responsible for keeping up with uh, the Universal Design for Learning framework and guidelines, and they continue to do research on this educational topic all the time. Melissa, can you talk about the three UDL principles of engagement, representation, and action and expression? Sure, but before we talk about that, I am so glad you started there because I did this on purpose. I could have like sent a message back and said, let's change that question. But I wanted to talk about that specifically as we get started. So most of the time when people think about universal design for learning, they think about the guidelines. And there are three very distinct columns in the guidelines and they are very much connected to the brain networks and uh, encourage the universal designers to think about engagement, representation, and then action and expression. But before we get to that part, the most important piece of universal design for learning that people completely gloss over and very rarely look at is actually the goal of universal design for learning. So our team at the state level always starts with the goal which is at the bottom of the guidelines. And the goal of UDL is to create expert learners who are purposeful and motivated, resourceful and knowledgeable, and strategic and goal-directed. And so each of those pieces, to be purposeful and motivated, is tied to engagement and that, that particular brain network, the affective brain network. And to be resourceful and knowledgeable is connected to 
the representation, which is um, in a, the other brain network, and it helps us to recognize the what we're learning. And then finally, to be strategic and goal-directed is connected to how we learn. So that's a lot of times where the assessment comes in. So again, people always start with thinking about the brain networks and the three components of UDL, which are engagement, representation, and action and expression. But really the most important piece of UDL is starting with the goal to create expert learners who are purposeful and motivated, knowledgeable and resourceful, and strategic and goal-directed. Thank you for um, including that. I think that is a vital piece of information that, as you're right, it does often get glossed over. People head right into those, you know, the other discussions around there. Um, so and when again, that, and sorry, and when that happens, it makes it difficult to implement to to do implementation across a district because it feels like there's a whole lot of training that you need to do in order to uh, be clear and design for in a universally designed way. But in order to operationalize universal design for learning at a district level, it's really a matter of committing to the concept and the idea of creating expert learners in the district. And so that's something that an entire district can get on board with and dig in deep to that mindset. Um, without feeling overwhelmed by the jargon and the guidelines uh, of UDL. So it's a better starting point to obtain the commitment so that we aren't constantly hearing we already do these things. Yeah, I, I thank you for pointing that out too. I think um, oftentimes too, it can feel very overwhelming. Like you mentioned all the language with it all day. So starting with that from that commitment from districts. Um, so as, as we talk about UDL and looking at specifically how it uh, can remove barriers for students and their learning, can you talk about how this may look in a, let's just take a high school classroom, whether it's the planning, um, the assessment, like could you give us some examples of what we might see in a high school classroom? Yeah, so lots of people wanna start with what they see when they enter the room. But in order to really understand what you're seeing, you have to sort of observe and really think about the design process uh, before you even get to actually experiencing UDL in a classroom. And what I think is really important when we think about what we will see is you will see lots of different things going on because Universal Design for Learning is very flexible and it does not have always have a prescribed path to obtaining the learning. So in any classroom, so the other piece of universal design is that once you learn to flex your design muscles and design for uh, learners who vary, then you often have lots of things going on. So just a really quick thing that I think is really important is to really just consider um, all of the content. And most of the time in classrooms at every level, lots and lots of the content is text-based. And we know that several of our learners with a de designated disability or not struggle with text. 
So simply knowing that when you provide text, you need to also consider providing an audio or a video that the learner chooses how to access the content um, is a really good practice. So getting in the habit of when you have typed directions to also have an audio button in those directions that will have that will read the directions to the learner. And that can be created, you know, with a, a read write Google text help support just in a browser, or it could be an audio clip that a teacher is using his or her own voice to read that to the learner. And Sometimes that's an important step because it connects the teacher with the learner. But I also think that it's important to understand that when you're providing that option, to know that it isn't for you to decide who will use that option. And so a lot of times we have students who are athletes who travel far away on buses um, to get to a competition and on the way home, uh, they may want to spend some time taking in and consuming the content so they don't have to save all of that for when they get home. And if there's an audio version and they have their device, they can listen whether they have that learning disability or not. And if we only provide those options to those people with a diagnosed learning disability, we are actually limiting the user, the students who may use that piece of the design. So again, when we're designing, we're going, what does it look like? And what does it look like at high school? What does it look like in the elementary classroom? It, it looks like lots of flexibility and lots of options. And it looks like learners making the decision about what works best for them and having access to utilize those tools. I just want to say thank you so much for touching on that accessibility piece for all users and giving them a choice on how they engage. I think that is such a key component. And, you know, uh, for from so many lenses, right, we know that the accessibility piece is huge when we talk about students with IEPs, um, gen, all, all, of the, all students, it's so important for. But, you know, I always go back to, like, looking at it very rarely, like, at a second, well, never in the secondary level, is a learning standard intention around decoding, right? So they we need mm -hmm. to provide them that choice so they can access not only the tech, you know, the content, the curriculum, the assessments. Um, so thank you so much for touching on that point. I, you know, that's just and so important. The other thing that's really important about that is it's not only providing access, but it's normalizing the use of that access because. In our Universal Design for Learning team, we always talk about this simple formula. Access plus use equals benefit. Access minus use equals no benefit. So it's really important that we normalize using the supports in order to make it cool or whatever for learners. Because if we don't normalize using the supports, they'll go unused and it will be pointless to put all that work in. Um, and we really, the purpose of those pieces is to really foster that learning independence that everybody wants. For those, uh, for those people that know me well, know that I'm a huge analogy um, person. It's part of my learning. I always think about UDL like a, a kids in a playground. You know, some kids like to slide, some kids like the monkey bars, some like to catwalk. 
Um, and some like that, the little toy that you can talk to your friend in that's 50 feet away and that's audio. So I think it's really important for us is that, you know, when we're talking to educators to get them to understand that yes, their schedule is really busy, but we need to make room for UDL and Missy talk about for those that are interested in learning more, what opportunities might be available that you would recommend that maybe our ongoing PD, like not just a one and done, but something where it's ongoing learning so that they can bring this back to their classroom. Yeah, let's go back and talk a little bit about that time thing just really quickly. Um, and then I'll definitely talk about what the opportunities for learning are going forward. But I really think that you're right to design uh, in a universal design for learning way. It does take a considerable amount of time upfront and in the planning stages and in the design stages. Um, but that time that you spend up front is the gift that keeps on giving because it will save you time on the back end of assessment if you can build in that assessment into the learning design so that we think start to think of assessment not of learning and for learning, but assessment as learning. And so designing a, in a universal design for learning way rings true to this thing I used to say to my seventh graders all the time, proper prior planning prevents poor performance. So again, proper prior planning prevents wow. poor performance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of keys, right? It is, it is a lot. But without proper prior planning, uh, we get into a situation where we don't actually have what we need. And so I think it's really important to understand that, yes, you're embarking in on time, but as you flex those muscles and learn how to design in a way that removes barriers for students, you'll spend less time retrofitting and following up with students because more people, more learners at the universal level will actually accomplish the goals and the objectives you've set. So that's really, really important. Um, and then just really quickly, can I share one more distinction before I talk about where else we can learn about it? <laughs> Absolutely, okay. we're loving it. Absolutely. Okay, so they're giving me the thumbs up. So I want to talk about the distinction between learning design and lesson planning. In our world of universal design for learning, it is a both and. And it is two separate things. So learning design is designing a learning experience with the end user in our minds. And the end user of the learning experience is the learner, the student. So when we're planning and designing for the ex experience in the classroom, we are designing the experience for the student and we are imagining all of the different options and choices they will make on their learning journey to meet the objective or the goal that together we set. When we design and uh, uh, when we design an environment with a lot of options and choices, that makes it extremely important that the teacher has a strong lesson plan because the lesson plan makes sure that we have all of the pieces available and ready 
created and made for the learning experience. So some people might need the audio. Some people might be doing something as an independent learner. Some people might be working in a group. What are all of the pieces that a teacher needs to create or make in order for all of those learners to have access to everything they need so that there isn't a pause in the learning experience? And so learning design, the end user is the student. What is the student going to experience? Lesson planning is the end user is the teacher. What must the teacher do in order to create the experience that the learners are expecting? And that is a very big distinction, but a very important one. And so much of the work that we do as pre-service teachers, as uh, in, professional development opportunities. So much of what we talk about is unit planning, lesson planning, and curriculum planning. And all that really means is we're thinking about all of the things that the teachers have to do. But what is really important is what the learners are experiencing. So thanks for letting me talk about that distinction. I've been sort of beating that <laughs> drum about the distinction between learning design and lesson planning for a long time. And it's really important to us. <clears throat> Melissa, we, we oftentimes see special education teachers um, on the fringe, you know, on the outskirts when it comes to the, the materials that are driven in the classroom setting. What advice would you offer to special educators across Wisconsin about how important UDL is to student success and outcomes, and also maybe touch on how they can be actively involved to stay off the fringe so that they feel that they're a part of what's happening with those, those core classrooms. Yeah, so what's really interesting about that question is that um, universal design for learning is the core classroom. And the expertise that special educators bring to universal design for learning is informing their regular education partners and colleagues about strategies and tactics that work for different learners. But what works for their learners who have a specific learning disability is not exclusive to only their learners, right? Like, the, what they know about helping and supporting and teaching the learners with specific learning disabilities can certainly inform what happens at the universal level to eliminate barriers in the classroom. At the universal level, we are trying to eliminate barriers for everyone. So those special educators are really important because they may have strategies, tactics, ideas uh, that completely change the outcome for many learners that are not uh, diagnosed with a specific learning disability in the classroom before there is a need to retrofit the design. And so a lot of people who work on UDL sort of start with that co-teaching model. And I think that's really important, but I think it's also really important that Above all, we work and strive for inclusive communities uh, and we keep learners in the classroom and in the experience as often as we can. And those special educators inform that 
thinking and make that more of a reality when they are an equal player on the team. So it's, a, it's about operationalizing as a district. And again, if we're all committed to creating expert learners, um, we don't have an ours and theirs thing. We don't have an ours, this is my kids, this is your kids, this is our kids, this is their kids. We, we, we sort of take away that division. Oh, look at she's holding up a book. Holding <laughs> up a book it, that says your students, my students, our students to exact same message that you're sending there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, first of all, I just want to thank you for your time today. I, and I realize UDL, you could speak for hours and hours, days and days on, but what I really appreciate what you've done today is really put it into language. I think all listeners can understand and, um, for that, we're, we're very grateful. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, we have a couple of things we'd like to do. Number one, um, in terms of resources, we will link any resources that you have for our listeners. And if you want to talk about any of them now, that's fine too. Uh, we will link them into our, uh, with the podcast so they can find them. Is there any certain resources you, additional resources you'd like to point out? Yeah. So Brian also asked about what sort of the next steps in terms of where people can go to learn more. And it all works into this opportunity for me to talk about that really well. So our Universal Design for Learning grant is designed in a way that everything that we put out there in a public facing way can be used by uh, school leaders and uh, po professional learning communities to start the conversation and move the conversation about Universal Design for Learning forward in their spaces with their groups or with their entire district. So we would highly recommend that people start with the Universal Design for Learning website, which I will make sure you have the right link for that. And on our project website, we have our community of practice. And each month, our community of practice um, meets uh, for an hour to discuss the, the topic or the theme for the month. And if you look at the community of practice page on our website, that is essentially the granular aspects of universal design for learning. And we believe that each of those pieces is sort of a module of study. So, you know, really digging into what it means to be expert learners, connecting uh, educational justice and equity to the concept of UDL, really getting into the concept of learner variability all of those things are precursors before you would want to do anything different in your learning design or your lesson planning. And then we follow up with examining goals, thinking about design, planning for those predictable supports, which are those assistive technologies that we started to mention, in addition to just creating the environment with consistency and um, supports that are always available, no matter where they are in the school environment followed by the assessment. So we, the middle part of the year of study is all about designing learning. And the beginning part is all about the mindset work to get clear on what universal design for learning is. And then at the end of um, the year, which we study in April and May, is all about the brain science connected to universal design and then a deeper dive into agency and inquiry. So those are the pieces that need further study um, to really internalize universal design. Jane Bischoff, um, our state DPI consultant for UDL, always says, 
it takes a little bit of time to learn UDL and a lifetime to practice it. So doing learning those pieces in a slow drip way really supports ongoing operationalizing of universal design for learning. And then the other pieces that our project does, we have a conference every October. Um, so details will be coming out about that sometime in the mid in middle of April. And it's a, usually a virtual conference. I say that usually because we've only had that opportunity in the last <laughs> two years, but, and I can't see that we'll uh, turn it into live just from a funding perspective at this moment, but never say never. And then, um, in addition to the conference and the community practice, which meets monthly and really digs into those newsletters, we also have a learning design lab, which is a cohorted model that we take people through so that they can shift their thinking from lesson planning to learning design. And then we also have another project that's happening in Green Bay specifically, but we're rolling it out to more districts and schools that um, really get into the plan, study, do, act cycles uh, with specific students learning. And so we have a toolkit coming out for that really soon. Um, Missy, as we kind of wrap up the podcast here, um, I'm a huge Shelly Moore fan. Mm -hmm. um, she inspires me. Um, I haven't listened to a, a video of hers yet that hasn't like hit my soul. Who are you a fan of that inspires you maybe around this framework of UDL? So Wisconsin UDL team has been really focused on the work of equity as it relates to universal design for learning. And um, Andrew Tisha Fritz-Gerald wrote the book, Anti-Racism and the UDL Pathway or something. I can't remember the subtitle, but uh, she is an administrator in Ohio who really honed in on um, thinking about anti-racism and the intersection it has with UDL. And she was the keynote speaker at our conference in 2020. And she's absolutely inspiring. And I, I still keep in touch with her and every single thing she puts into the world, she talks about honoring the learner. And so there's a lot of work talking about the um, cross-pollination between universal design for learning and culturally sustaining pedagogy. And she is an example that brings that cross-pollination to life. And I really appreciate her for that. And that little, that little tidbit of information is a great way for us to really kind of wrap up what's been a very informative podcast. Uh, thank you, Melissa, for your, you can tell you're very passionate about this subject. And today we've gotten a chance to really hone in on some opportunities to create inclusive practices for the classroom and the community utilizing universal design for learning. So that's a wrap on episode number 17 for the Wisconsin Transition Talks with Brian and Stacy. Thanks again, Melissa, and we appreciate your efforts and have a great weekend and go Badgers. We have to talk. Go Badgers. Go Bucky. All right. <laughs> yeah, I see. You can't see us, but uh, I'm the only one that doesn't have Badger gear on right now. Stacy's got on a Badger shirt and Missy has on a Badger sweatshirt. So <laughs> I, I am cheering for them. So have, have a great weekend, everyone, and uh, go Bucky.